How are we doing? Thank you. That's the right answer. Can I? Do you mind if I? Just watch me now. Hello. Is this okay? No. Let me try and come a little forward. Is this okay? Can you see me now? Cool. Well, my name's Jason, and I lead the vineyard with my wife, Michelle, and she's in Dublin this morning uh, with Micah. So, good to be here, and uh, she's really missing church this morning. That was the first thing she said. She's so, so sorry to miss church this morning. So, it's great to be here. Are you warm enough? Not too warm? Got to stay awake? Midland, as they say. So for those who are just new to us, if you're visiting it again, I just want to say thanks for taking uh, the courage and uh, coming to visit us at Vineyard Church Dungannon. We're so glad that you've done that. If it's your first time, you're extremely welcome. And uh, I know that it's not easy attending church for the first time. Sometimes it's awkward. You don't know what to expect and all that. So, hey, thanks for doing that. And uh, we hope that God uh, graces you, and he will grace you with his presence. But more than anything, we want you to encounter him this morning. So we are in a series called How to Find Peace in an Anxious World. Is that okay? Is it still okay that we keep doing that for another couple of weeks? Is it helpful? Good. I'm glad it's helpful. And uh, we know that they're, they're all around us, they're telling us, experts are telling us, and people are telling us that we live in the age of anxiety. And uh, I don't think you need to be a, a professor or a... Uh, strategist or a futurist to predict that at all. We, we see it in our everyday ordinary lives. We see it in people that we work with. We see people off of stress. We see the results of uh, depression that we're one in five. They say that one in five people in Northern Ireland suffer from depression. And uh, in the next few years, it's going to be the biggest thing, the biggest thing outside of uh, cancer and that, that the second thing that people will uh, struggle with and have to deal with is depression. And so we, we love the church, but we, we think that sometimes we've been a little too quiet in the space of faith when so many of us have found emptiness in our soul and our heart. And I said, over the last two or three weeks, uh, depression has nothing to do with your spirituality. We looked at the giants, the heroes, and the heroines of our faith who experienced great, great times of God and, and adventures with God, signs, miracles, and wonders, and, and all these wonderful encounters, and yet they've also experienced these, these lows in life called the dark night of the soul, and depression. Uh, let me give you another set of stats today. Is that okay? I have seven more stats this morning, if you can remember these. Or maybe we could do a guessing game just to get you awake and get you involved. I, I do value uh, feedback, like live feedback. If you want to say yes, no, maybe so, I welcome that. I'm up for uh, being... Um, no, I'm not. <laughs> just say yes or no before it gets too crazy. So... Um, there's another set of stats. It's top seven stresses in our life. Number one. Do anybody want to guess? No, not teenagers. No, no, no. Your job. Your job. Number two is money. Number three, your health. Relationships. Poor diet. Listen to this one. This is not shock. You media overload. Lack of sleep. And watching Dungan and Swifts. Uh, I made the last one up, obviously. Uh, Freddie Mercury was right. We're all under pressure. We're all under pressure. 
when we look at our lives and we're all, when all we see are the minefields of potential explosions at times, when you look around society and our workplaces and our family lives, people are worried. People are worried. So many of us have so much month and not enough money. People are stressed. People are worried. Number two is a big one in a lot of our lives, money. Or we're worn out by stress of our situation. Some of us are stressed about having to have that conversation. You know that conversation with an in-law, with an outlaw, with your boss, with your spouse. We get stressed by having to have the conversation. We're feeling under pressure about the next move you have to make. And some of us are making the next move in our careers and changing our lifestyle and maybe even changing where we're going to live. Geographically, we're all having to make decisions day out, day in. And we're all informed by so much information that's coming our way. We're feeling under pressure about that next move. And stress at its core is simply a threat. Real or perceived, it can be a threat. Whenever your body feels threatened by someone, emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, that threat, stress, it responses. Sorry, the responses will take place in your body. Have you ever found that? Yeah? The stress takes place in your body. Your blood pressure goes up. Anybody ever been there? Your pulse quickens. Your adrenaline shoots through your body. And there's all kinds of uh, psychological effects. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that this morning. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, given the fact that I was on the road at 6 o'clock this morning, and Michelle says, stop, stop, stop. And I'm thinking, what on earth is she? And there's a car parked on a dual carriageway. We did have an indicator on. It was turning right. But she says, did you see that car? I said, no. So stress sometimes can be a good thing, especially if you want to come and drive with me. It just makes you feel alive. It makes you feel like, man, I have a pulse. I have a heartbeat. I am still alive. So I will take you for a spin in the car free of charge, better than Barry's, with more excitement and more risk involved. <laughs> Problem is that the chronic and the continued stress in our body never shuts down. If it never shuts down, then many of us and most of us will live under chronic stress if we live in the age of anxiety. And so we're going to deal with that today. Hope that's okay. Maybe you're not stressed at all and I'm speaking to their own crowd, but you'll know somebody who is stressed from time to time. You'll know people who do get a little overwhelmed and a little worried if it's not you. Because hundreds and hundreds of scientific and medical studies have shown that chronic stress in your life is dangerous and it's devastating to your physical health. And some of you have experienced that. It's damaging to your brain to always to be in that chronic state of uh, stress. Have you, I mean, when we're stressed, we can't think clearly. Perception. We talked about Elijah last week, how, how he just came out of this enormous victory. It was out of success. And then all of a sudden, he plummets into the dark night of the soul. He, he plummets into chronic depression, suicidal, wanting to take his life, uh, wanting his life to be taken from him. And so his brain is, 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 is overstressed, and he can't get perception. He doesn't know that he's one in 7,000. He thinks he's the only one living, the only prophet living in the land. But he's one, not one in 10, not one in five. He's one in 7,000 of prophets that are still around. His perception's gone. He's overstressed. It's affecting his thinking. It's also dangerous to your relationship. It's dangerous to your relationship with each other. Vertical. And also, vertical. And also, Horizontal. Our relationship with God the Father and our relationship with humanity, our relationship with 
with everyone. Do you ever find that when you're stressed, it's hard to hear the voice of God? And we talked about last week that depression doesn't mean that God is absent. And there's a lot of theologians out there who have this cool, uh, mysterious thing that God leaves us, and God likes to play this romantic game with us, that he, he hides himself from us so that we would go and find him and chase him. I don't believe that. I believe that God is always constant. He's always near. The presence of the Holy Spirit is continuous with us. Everywhere we go, we carry the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. He's in us, and he's on us. So God never leaves you nor forsakes you because we might face times of the dark night of the soul and depression. That does not mean that God is silent, nor does it mean that God is absent. And so it can be dangerous to us hearing God's voice. And if we give ourselves over to it, the pressure can blind us again like Elijah making us feel alone and helpless. And I love that quote of, of Ro- Robbie. Um, yeah. He said that, not Robbie Savage, no, the worst thing in life is not being alone, but actually being with people who make you feel alone. And sometimes we can be in the crowd, sometimes we can be in the mix, and sometimes we can be in a space where people are there, but we feel all alone. We feel alone. So Philippians 4 gives us uh, some classic anti-stress management principles or recipe today. And that's what I want to do. I want to talk about some classic management things that we can do, some very practical things right out of Scripture given to us by Paul in Philippians. So if you want to turn there to Philippians 4, verses 6 to 13, we're just going to stay there all morning in that one text. And as we do that, can we pray? Just one more time. Father God, we thank you for your presence. Would you just right now settle our hearts and our souls, God? Do you open up our minds? Would you remove the barriers that are causing us to be distracted? God, would you just, uh, even right now, would you calm anxiety, stress? And God, would you speak to us through your word? Holy Spirit, would you walk among our chairs right now? Would you breathe on us? Would you reveal the Father and his heart for us? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, the key to this, the spiritual uh, recipe this morning, it, it actually comes with a, a guarantee. And, and I, I sometimes I'm very uncomfortable with that because people always overpromise and, and they uh, underdeliver a lot of times if you find that to be experience. Promise you this car salesman, any car salesman in the room. They, they promise you the sun, moon, and stars, but they sometimes underdeliver. So uh, I want you to pay attention to this one today. If you want to lower stress in your life, anybody want to lower some stress in your life? And I need you to pay attention to this. We have a promise guarantee. It's not from me. It's not from the vineyard. It's not from the leaders of the vineyard, but it's from the ancient scriptures themselves. So if you want to turn to verse 7 of that chapter in Philippians, it says, If you do these things, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. The Bible calls this the peace that passes understanding. So what does that mean? What does the peace that passes understanding look like? Well, if you're in a situation when you have no logical reason to be at peace, then that's the peace that passes understanding. When pain comes knocking on your door, when bad news comes knocking to your door, and by the way, Scripture does say, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not. Let your heart be at rest because he has overcome the world. So, so sometimes bad news comes knocking on our door. Maybe it's, uh, it's the bad news from a doctor, a consultant. Maybe it's bad news from a boss, maybe redundancies, maybe it's a, 
a, a relationship, a friend's relationship, somebody that you know that is broken up, when something comes and all of a sudden in the mix and the stress and the confusion and the uncertainty, deep within you there's this peace, there's this anchor, there's this, it is well with my soul moment. That's a peace that passes understanding. So God promises a more peaceful life. Like I say, the, the experts are saying that this is the age of anxiety. But I would say, fear not, because there is an antidote. There is a Christ in the situation. There is a Christ in the chaos. There is an anchor in our storms. There is a, a stillness even in the dark of the night. There is light in the morning. There is joy that comes in the morning. And God never leaves us nor forsakes us. Forsakes us? Is that word right? Let's move on, Jason, very quickly before I get myself in trouble. There's a God that never leaves us, and He is with us until the very end. There is always an answer. There is always a remedy. And you may say to me, I know, I, I, I know this not to be true. I know people that have experienced bad news and have just been overcome by anxiety. I know the opposite of that. I've watched people dying and have the most uh, peaceful experience that you could ever imagine. I've sat on the deathbed with, with people, watching them breathe their last breath, and, and yet the peace in the room was palpable, was tangible. You could, you could nearly touch it and, and experience. That's the peace that passes understanding. All that to say this, that even in the chaos, even in the age of anxiety, there is a remedy and there is a solution. And it's not found in principles, but in a person called Jesus Christ. So what things? If you do these things, what things? There's 7,000 promises in Scripture, but say the majority of them come with a, with a premise. Promises in Scripture come with a present premise. If you do this, then you will experience that. God's not playing games with this, but there's always choice, you see, in humanity. I was talking to somebody the other day, and we were talking about how crazy the world is, and, and how mad it is, and how dark it is. And I, I, I actually, I'm not being serious, I'm not being, I am being serious, I'm not being funny. Uh, I said that I, I actually can't believe there's more darkness in the world. When you give the population of the world and humanity has free choice, you give six billion people free choice, then, man, it is a dark world. And he gives us free choice, that's why every promise has a premise. God's not just going to make us do things so we'd experience things. He's going to give us choice. He's going to give us interaction with His promises. There's always interaction with the Father. It's a relationship-based thing. And promises are always relationship-based with God. And so these promises come with a premise. He says, I don't want you to worry about nothing. I don't want you to worry about anything. I want you to pray about everything. I want you to thank God in all things. I want you to keep your mind on good things. I want you to be confident in all things. And so we're going to look at the detail on these things just now. If you want to keep stress out of your life, if you want to refuse to worry about anything, then refuse to worry about anything. Doesn't that sound kind of too simple? Here endeth the lesson. Be anxious for nothing. How's that working for you? Be anxious for nothing. In fact, let me give you some good advice today if you've got some friends and they're really stressed out, if you've got a, a spouse and they're really stressed out. I would say that this advice might not go down well. If they're in the situation, in the chaos, and in the stressful situation where they're absolutely just um, panic, and you say, hey, here's what the Word of God says. Be anxious for nothing. I, I, they might not reply with a song. 
or lyrics for that. They might reply something else. But there is something in this that we're to be anxious for nothing because, number one, the source of stress in your life is not your work. It's the worry. Most of us go to bed tonight. We're not overloaded because of our work. We might be physically overloaded. But usually the worry is not because of the work. The worry is just the worry itself. It's not work. It's the worry that we go to bed stressed out about. And so God is... It's very clear that most of us are overworried. Scripture talks a lot about it. God is very clear in the Bible that he thinks a lot about worry. So the first verse of chapter 6, the first part of Philippians says, never worry about anything. Seriously? I used to think that was so irresponsible. Isn't it weird, our thinking, how we're trained? So I, I think that people that don't worry, are, I used to think that people that don't worry are irresponsible people. People that don't worry don't care. That's not true. People that worry are just worriers. They're stressed out. They're living in anxiety. See, the difference between, there's a difference that we are to have concern for our word, but not worry. There's a difference. Because you know what? Here's the thing about worry. Uh, and I'll explain it just in a minute or two. Uh, worry is, well, let me explain it right now. Worry is unreasonable. It's always unreasonable. Uh, it's illogical. It's it's unreasonable. It doesn't make sense. It's, in fact, in Matthew 6, Jesus' famous sermon, he gathers his, his friends together. They walk up a hill, and he preaches his most famous sermon, which is so deep and so hard for us to actually live at, at times. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes we know it as the Beatitudes. And he starts off, and he talks about, in the middle of this conversation, he says, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. And some of you have not worried about that this morning, what you're wearing. I just joked. <laughs> anyway, um, it's not life more important than food. It's not the body more important than clothes. He's saying it's not logical. It's not logical. Worry is not logical. You've got your priorities out of order. It's irrational. It does not make sense, and it's always unreasonable. Why is it unreasonable? I'll tell you why, because worry always exaggerates the problem. It's, it's, a, it's a form of meditation. It's a form of marinating. We worry about things. We, we, when we worry about things, do you ever notice that a small problem, when you start to marinate it, something really small turns into the most impossible situation on the face of the planet? Do you ever get up on a Monday morning and you just can't find your, your shoes? And all of a sudden, you've moved to shoes, to Donald Trump, to the end of the world. Sorry, we've got some American friends here today from Redding, California. I do apologize. I do cause offense weekly, so um, relax and enjoy the ride. It's illogical. It just gets exaggerated. It never makes the problem smaller. Have you ever found that? If you just spend more time worrying about the problem, it'll reduce it for you. Has anybody found that? Because if you have, please talk to me. Because I find every time I think on it, every time I marinate on it, every time I just let it mature in my mind and play it over and over again, all of a sudden, it has escalated. And there seems to be no solution for it. It's unreasonable. That's why we shouldn't worry. Have you noticed if somebody says something bad about you? Not that anybody would say something bad about you. But do you ever notice somebody says something good about you and you feel fantastic for like all of one minute, two minutes? Do you, you, yeah? You feel, yeah, really? Yeah. 
People say, great, great talk, Jason. Everybody says, great talk, Jason. Uh, let's just practice that. <laughs> and then you're going out the door and somebody says, uh, didn't agree with point four. And then point four stays with you the rest of the day. I shouldn't have said it that way. I'm sorry I said if I was to say it that way, I would never say it again that way. Why did I say that? Why did I insult our American friends with Donald Trump? Why did I, why, why did I insult people about their clothing? I would never, if Michelle was here today, I wouldn't have said any of those things. <laughs> if she would only show up to church, then all things would be as they should be. And you just start it, and it all never becomes smaller. If somebody says something about you, good, it stays for a while. If somebody says something negative about you, it can last for eternity. Which voices are you listening to? Does the problem shrink? No, it doesn't. It always gets bigger. Worry exaggerates. It's irrational and it's unreasonable. It makes it bigger. It grows a problem out of all proportion. It really does. It doesn't work. It's never worked. It's worthless. It doesn't make a difference to your life. Worry does not make a difference to your life. That's why it's not responsible. It's not responsible to worry. You're not a mature person if you worry. In fact, you're an immature person if you worry. To say that you're mature because you worry is silly because it doesn't work. It never works. It won't work. It doesn't make a difference. It won't make one iota to your situation, your problem, or your life. To worry about something, you can't change it. It's useless. And to worry about something you can't change, well, let me insult you one more time. It's stupid. It's not only useless, it becomes stupid. Just go change it. In either case, worry is not the answer. Worry does not work and it's unreasonable. The second thing, and this is what I found really interesting this week, and I've read that passage in Matthew 6 loads and loads and loads and loads of times, and I've got so much out of it, but I've just discovered something that Jesus says worry is unnatural. I never saw that. He talks about nature. He talks about nature. He talks about birds not worrying, because that's nature. He talks about flowers. They don't worry, because it's it's unnatural to worry. It's unnatural to worry. And you may say to yourself, well, I, I don't believe that, Jesus, and I'm a born worrier. No, you're not a born worrier. You learned it. You were in an environment that exaggerated it, and you were in a place where people spoke it maybe over you, where you picked it up, where you learned it. I mean, I, I know that you've got to learn worry. You're not born worrying, people. You're not born worrying. It's your environment. It's the voices spoken into your life. It's, it's what you've learned. It's behavior. And some of us have a PhD in it. Man, if worrying was in the Olympic Games, I would have a few gold medals by now, would you? I mean, I have experience about what I'm talking about today. I have experience. I sometimes worry, believe it or not. He says, look at the birds of the air. They, they don't sow, they don't reap, or they don't uh, store in barns, yet your heavenly Father takes care of them. How much more valuable are you than them? And here's another thing, and I don't want to upset any dog lovers or cat lovers here this morning, but God is the creator of creation. He's the father of humanity. If creation doesn't worry because the creator's got it in control, how much more the children of God who do not know him just as creator, but as father. See, it says your father knows. And he is not the father of creation. He is the creator of creation. He's the father of humanity. Jesus came to refeed the father. That was his one mission in life. Of course, he came to take away the sin of the world. 
But it all came through revealing the love of the Father to a broken and lost society. We should be more, more at peace than nature because it's unnatural to worry. Notice your heavenly Father. He's not talking about the bird's heavenly Father. He's saying, your heavenly Father. Your heavenly Father. So, by the way, if it's unnatural, then it's unhealthy. Okay? If it's unnatural, it's unhealthy. You ever hear people saying, I'm worried sick to death? I know it sounds irrational. But some people are worried sick. Have you ever worried yourself sick? Have you ever had to go and have the conversation and you're throwing up before it? Now, this is where I feel more vulnerable. Am I the only person who's ever felt like that? Have you ever gone into a place of work and it's your first day and you feel like you just like, huh? and you never take a glass of water because you don't want to give anything away, do you? I don't know, no, I never use, people think it's a drink problem or people think it's whatever. I, just, it's unhealthy for you. The Bible says this in Proverbs twelve twenty five: an anxious heart weighs a man down. You know that one. Just feel like you're pulled down by the worries of life, by the worries of life. But there's a, you know, the actual word in English means to, to strangle or choke. So if you think worrying is responsible, it's not. Choking somebody is not a good thing to do. Strangling somebody is never healthy. It's never reasonable. <laughs> never helpful. And every time we worry, you're strangling and you're choking the life out of your life. That's what we're doing. An anxious heart weighs a man down, Proverbs says. Look at the opposite. Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body. That's practical. That's practical. A lot of us would be a lot more healthier today if our stress levels were reduced. I would say that I'm not a doctor, but I know a doctor. I would say that way too many people have ulcers and, and um, stomach problems because of worry. A depression, chronic depression because of stress and worry. A lot of people uh, bad diets and um, have eating disorders because of worry. Uh, skin irritation because of worry. Uh, lots of things physically uh, are the result of worrying. So do you want to be healthier? It's a real question. Strange people. Do you want to be healthy? Yeah, okay. Then you need to stop worrying. First thing is just stop worrying. Try and stop worrying. It is not responsible. Talk to God about everything. Don't panic, pray, don't worry, worship. Stop talking to yourself about all the stuff that's stressing you out and start talking to God. Talking to yourself, um, I mean, I'm an expert at this, especially in a supermarket, but it doesn't actually do anything, but talking to God actually will bring you some solution. You see, if you're a warrior, you're a practical atheist. If you're not talking to God and you're a warrior, I would say you're a practical atheist. Because prayer is believing that there's an outcome. If you don't, if you don't pray believing there's an outcome, man, you're just, it's just superstition. Prayer becomes superstition when there's no outcome in mind. Why would you do it? Why would you pray if there's no outcome in mind? Touch wood. Might as well. I mean, the Irish are good at it. I had somebody last week in a, in a, in a pub said, hey, um, I've got a rash all over my arm. I thought he was going to ask me to pray. He says, do you know anybody else secure? 
said, now that you ask, yes. <laughs> it's Jesus. I'm very friendly with him. So I put my hands on him and he just starts laughing at me out loud. It's the most embarrassing moment in my life. <laughs> Have you ever prayed for somebody and just, they're just sitting there laughing at you? It's embarrassing. Pray, never worry about anything. Instead, in every situation, let God know what you need in your prayers and in your requests. In every situation, that means your marriage situation. Sometimes, why do we categorize things? Why do we categorize things? Is it lack of trust in God? See, we, 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 we Christians, we're a crazy bunch of people. We believe that God has answers to big things like eternity and heaven. Do you know why we're so comfortable with that? Let me tell you why we're so comfortable with those big conversations. It's because we absolutely have no responsibility over them. <laughs> yeah? See, it's great to talk about those things because I have no responsibility over those things. You have no responsibility over those things. Don't we? But, 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 but why do we sideline Jesus when it comes to our marriage and our job and our choices and our money and our decision making? I mean, he's involved in everything in your life. Christianity is not say a prayer, get in the waiting list and pray that Jesus comes back soon. And then there's some other crazy people, they don't even believe that. They're actually praying that Jesus takes them up in a bubble and shoots them into the air. They call it rapture. It's crazy, isn't it? Ooh, <laughs> we'll teach them that another time. It'll make perfect sense when I talk about it. Just go with me in the moment. Every situation means your marriage situation, your job situation, education, illness situation, dark nights of the soul situation. Everything means everything, every situation. Don't subline God to the eternity. Bring him into the everyday ordinary. Your job, your life, your wife. He's got something to say in everything. He's not just saying don't worry about it, but in his moments of anxiety, in those moments of anxiety, instead, instead, that means today, this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, instead of worrying, replace your worry, replace your anxiety with a conversation. Replace it with a conversation. And here's what you want to remember from today's talk. The kingdom that Jesus brought, his dominion, his powerful rule and reign, and the kingdom that he brings with it is peace. Peace is the presence of a person, not a formula to dispel fear. It's the presence of a person, and he can come into any situation that you invite him into. And it all begins with a simple conversation. See, Paul gives us something so rich. He tells us instead of worrying, instead of being anxious, he says, present your request to God. Do you know what that means? It's, it means to reveal the heart. To present your request means to Go below the surface stuff and reveal the heart, the deepest stuff, the deepest desires of your heart. Tell God what you need. And then thank Him. Thank Him when He's done that. Many of us, the conversations with Jesus are all surface level, as if we, haven't a clue, as if we think He hasn't a clue what's going on in our lives. You know, as if we're going to shock Him if we tell Him our deepest, deepest darkest secret. If we tell Him our fears and anxiety, He'll think we have lack of faith. Where do we get that from? Don't go surface level, go deep. Nothing will shock him. Nothing will shock him. You won't put him off. He might just come and answer. He might just come and reveal. He might just come and bring the situation to hand. Does that make sense? Third thing, and this is really quick, because we've been talking a lot about this this, this last year, and we, we began January with this, this one point. The third thing he tells us to do is thank God in all things. 
Thank God in all things. And I just want to make one mention here. When you ask God for what you need, also thank Him. Just circle that. Sometimes we're good at asking, but we're never good at thanking. So just thank Him. Always ask with a thankful heart, Scripture says. There's always a connection between gratitude and happiness. Have you, met, have you ever met thankful, grumpy people? I, I haven't. Maybe there is some people out there. Uh, but if, if you meet people that are always full of gratitude in their life, they, they tend to be good people to hang around. They tend to be people that you want to fill your... You know, if you want to go for some private energy, listen, do you ever go for private energy? To those people that you know in private, not just the, the public applause or the applause where, you're, where people are anonymous to you. But I'm talking about private energy, your friends, people that do life with you. If you go for private energy, I would, I would encourage you, if you're going for private energy, go to people that are thankful. Go to people that are, their lives are full with gratitude. You see, it's, it takes the same energy to complain as it does to be thankful. And the thing about complaining, it doesn't create anything, and it actually stifles creativity. But thankfulness enlightens the mind. It actually physically enlightens your mind. It, it causes endorphins to, to rise. Am I waffling, Diane? Please help me out. Maybe stretching it a little bit. But if we're thankful, if thankful hearts cause us to be joyful. Joy is a, is a good medicine, the Bible talks about. And so, therefore, I would hang around people that are joyful. Don't hang around complainers. Hang about people that are thankful. And, and here's the other thing I found, and I'm going to give you one more point, and then I'm going to give us something really practical to pray. We're all going to stand and pray and be really deep this morning with Jesus. So don't, we have the doors locked. Please do not run or leave the building right now. But I always thought life was kind of ups and downs and hills and valleys. Has anybody else ever found that? But here's what I'm finding more and more. Maybe I'm just getting a little bit more mature, or some would say immature. Getting older anyway. Is that sometimes for me, life at the minute feels like a railway track. You know, it's not so much of highs and lows, but it's that the good and the bad seem to, to dance together sometimes in life, that we're on this journey and we can be, have these two tracks of blessing and buffeting, yeah, power and pain. That's the kingdom message of, of heaven. In the midst of great pain, there is also resurrection power. I've seen the sick healed and the dead buried, yeah? It's the two tracks. And sometimes we can be on those two tracks, and you can experience it even in a day, even in a week, even in a month, where you've experienced something good in your life, and at the same time, you can also have something that's just going crazy wrong. Has anybody ever experienced that? And that's when people say to me now, when, they, when we go into these pastor's rooms, they're the most weird rooms in the world. Our number one question is, how big is yours? And that can be awkward. Church. And then the other thing they say is, how's things going? And that question always stumps me. Because on one hand, we're seeing people come to faith and marriages being healed and all that there. And then all of a sudden, we're still dealing with the pain and the problems and the people that are diagnosed with illnesses that are not curable. Yeah. People are struggling with their finances and, and somebody else is being blessed in their finances and somebody's got a check through the door and somebody's got made redundant. And these tracks seem to go at the same time. But all I want to say in this, not to discourage you, but you can always find something, even in the bad, even in the dark, you can always find something to be thankful for. You can always find something to be thankful for. When you ask God for something, and you ask Him for His peace, be thankful. Thankful people are good people to be around. They, uh, instead of exaggerating the ugly in life, I, mean, I love people that exaggerate the beauty in life, don't you? That's okay. 
I think sometimes God's such an exaggerator. Do you? To you? Sometimes it just seems like exaggeration. He's a good, good father. Gives good gifts to his children. He's constantly with us. He's promises to never leave us nor forsake us. Is that for real? I think so. Don't be afraid to exaggerate the goodness of God. So many people in society exaggerating the ugliness in the world and the brokenness in the world. It's okay to exaggerate God. Let me go a step further. It's okay to be a fanatic. Yeah? See, I've never met a fanatic for God who's causing problems. I ain't never met those people yet. I've never met people that are fanatical about Jesus wanting to harm, kill, steal, and destroy because upset and division. I've never seen that. I just see fanatical people and exaggerated people about the goodness of God bringing peace, hope, and life everywhere they go, and I'm up for that. I'm up for that. You got space for one more? you're stressed. I was thinking in some cheesy lines, you know, from stressed to blessed. (laughs) Be content with anything. And this is for everybody living in the Western world. (laughs) Bible tells us to be content with, with anything. This is the fourth key to live in a reduced stress life. God says, if you do these things, you'll have God's peace in your life. Let me explain to you contentment, because a lot of people uh, misunderstand the meaning of contentment. A lot of us do. A lot of people think contentment means I have no ambition in life. I have no ambition in life. I'll just be content. Okay, sirrah, sirrah. Whatever will be, will be. If it's for you, it won't go past you. And Paul wrote this book, remember, Paul wrote the book of Philippians. Now, I would say Paul's a pretty ambitious guy. And Malcolm and I spent a bit of time, uh, a lot of time, weeks, hours, pouring into the book of Philippians at the start of the year. And here's what I found out about Paul. He single-handedly takes the good news. He takes the gospel all across the Roman Empire. That's pretty ambitious, without a plane. He's one of the most Ambitious people ever. I say he's ambitious. He says, but I've learned to be content. The ambitious guy says, I've learned to be content. So ambition is okay with contentment. And contentment straddles ambition okay. Contentment is not laziness either. Contentment is not apathy. Contentment is not complacency. And contentment is not fatalism, which many of us conclude. Well, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Sure, what's the point? You could step out here today and get hit with a bus. (laughs) If you've got people in your life like that, I'm not saying get rid of them. I'm just saying reduce, (laughs) reduce the connect hours with them. Meet them some Sunday during the week if that works out for them. Here's what contentment means. It means enjoying what I have right now rather than waiting for something else to happen in order to make me happy. Does that make sense? To enjoy what you have now in order to wait for something else to happen to make you happy. 
So, so many of us are living in limbo land. We're waiting for something else to make us happy rather than being content in the moment. And he says this. He says, I know what it is to be content in much. And I know what it is to be content in lack. Contentment is actually independence from the circumstances. Paul writing this under arrest, house arrest. So the guy that's walking in those shoes, it's okay to take advice from him. If he's telling us to be content in every situation, that's okay. It's not based on the circumstance. It means I've learned to enjoy whatever, whenever I've got now. And I'm not waiting for something or someone to make me happy. I have too many people in our community, in our culture, in this Western world are, are just waiting for the next thing to make them happy. They're, they're, they're doing that. They're never content. They're never content. And Paul says, I've learned to be content. I've learned it. Just like you learn to worry, why don't you learn to be content? You're not a natural born worrier. You learn to worry. Why not get a PhD in contentment? Why not hang around some people that are content? Why not learn that? Why not uh, read some books even on contentment? I'm, I'm okay with that. I'd, guarantee you I'd go to Philippians 4 first. Find some people, be around some people, learn to be content. You have to learn it. You've got to unlearn worry and learn contentment. Whatever the circumstances, I've had to live on almost nothing. I've learned the secret of contentment in every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I have more than I need or don't have enough. He says, I've learned to be content. How do we learn to be content? I'm going to give you a couple of couple of things. Stop comparing yourself. Don't go compare. <laughs> Do you know how long I worked on that one? <laughs> Don't go compare. You always got to find somebody better at the job, and you always got to find somebody with more money and more stuff. That's disappointment. And guess what? You're always going to have more than somebody else. And you're always going to be able to do a job better than somebody else. And that can lead to pride. And discouragement and pride are the two biggies that can knock us off the journey of life God intended us for. Do you get it? Hey, do you get it? That's good. I think you're tired. I think you're well fed. And when you're well fed, you get tired, don't you? So I'm going to do something very practical this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand. Victor Frankl was standing in a death camp, and um, I don't know if you've ever read his book called Man's Search for Meaning. He said he was stripped and he was naked. He took, him, took everything, including his wedding ring. Yeah, it's just cruel, right? Then he said, then I realized there was one thing that could never be taken away from me my ability to choose my response. <laughs> See, you can control, you can't control everything that happens in this life. I've learned that, you've learned that. No matter how smart, how equipped we think we are, 
We can't control everything in this life. There is the unexpected that comes our way from time to time in all forms. But you can choose how to respond. I want to say this morning, that's your freedom. That's your freedom. That's your freedom. So here's what I want us to do today. You remember that thing I talked about praying instead of worrying, worship instead of worrying? Frank, why don't you guys come up and we'll save time. I'll walk down and you walk up. I want to have a prayer meeting this morning if that's okay. I want you to get really serious before God and, and to make your request known to Him, which means you reveal the deepest place in your heart, the, the secret place. And so here's what you're going to do. Can you pay attention just for a moment? Just, just want to grab your attention just for a moment more because this is so helpful for you. I want you to pray a prayer just like this, something very simple. Father, I need you to. That's where your prayer starts today. Begin with that thing that you're most stressed about. Name it. Name it. Don't worry about it. Talk to God about it. Make your request known to him. Reveal the heart. So you've got to just, let's say it. Let's bring it into the light. Let's bring it into the light. Father, I need you to. What is it you need him to do today? What's the area you're most stressed in? And you, want to, you might want to put this line in. If you don't, I'm afraid that. What's a fear? What's a fear? Father, I, I need you to, and let's just say it. This, this is not fear-based. This is just revealing and bringing it into light. I was at a <coughs> GP one time there not so long ago, and uh, I had pain in my face, and I uh, Google. Don't Google <laughs> medical stuff. And the GP, she saw fear. She saw fear, and she was great. She said, she told me what it was. She alleviated my pain, my fear, and then, she says, you still look fearful. She says, I want you to say what you think it is. And I went, no, <laughs> you'll laugh at me. And I said, is it cancer? I know it sounds funny, but is it a tumor? She says, no, it's not. And then she just explains it again. And, and, and it was the most helpful thing, and maybe this is helpful for you this morning. Than plan says. But I could have spent the rest of the day, if I never said that, if I never talked about it, I'd have spent the rest of the day thinking, what does she know? I've got Google. <laughs> it's much more responsible to worry about this thing than just to take the advice of a GP who invertedly is just a general practitioner. <laughs> Love you, Dan. And all those other GPs. I mean, I could have said, let's just worry about this. Let's just worry about this. But let's just pause and close your eyes just for, for just a minute. And let's talk to the great practitioner. Let's talk to the great practitioner. Jesus Christ, the one who comes to heal. Heal our hearts, our minds, our emotions, and our bodies. And as the guys lead us and sing over us this morning, I'm going to, it's, it's over to you. Your choice is yours right now. Freedom to choose. Father, I need you too. If you don't, I'm afraid that. What is it you're afraid of? We are all afraid of something. Let's not kid ourselves. We all fear something. We fear our finances, our future, certainties, uncertainties. 
begin with your greatest anxiety, the thing that comes to your mind. You know that thing when the night comes and the noise is gone? The day is gone. And it's just you and him. Come, Holy Spirit. I want to say that peace is available right now. The reason I guarantee you peace is available because Jesus is available right now. He's not playing hide and seek. There's no hide and seek theology. He's ever present. Draw near to God. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. I'm afraid if you don't. Father. And then thank him. And faith just begin to release that fear.